Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4, again, uh, starting in verse 16. And uh, for the last couple weeks, if you're new or if it's been a couple weeks since you've joined us, we are in a series called Come Holy Spirit, and uh, we're looking at the person and the work of of the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. And today, I'm really excited, we've come to uh, the gift of healing. And so I'm going to be reading here this passage that's become very familiar to us um, on the Holy Spirit. And so here we go. Uh, Once again, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Jesus came to to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This passage, the reason we keep coming back to it so much is because it's really important in the ministry of Jesus in terms of how the Spirit empowers him and the purposes for which the Spirit is empowering him in his ministry. And we see here this passage, really for Luke, serves as an overture, if you're familiar with the symphony, kind of the the beginning that overviews the rest of the symphony, or a movie trailer, um, really, or maybe even a table of contents that that outlines what's going to happen the rest of the book. So this is the overture for the symphony of Jesus's ministry. And what we see Jesus talking about here is exactly what he, he does for the rest of his ministry. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom and he heals people. He talks about uh, proclaiming liberty to those who are in bondage or captives, recovering sight for the blind, setting free those who are oppressed. This is what Jesus was about. If you want to kind of summarize Jesus's ministry and like Uh, a tweetable, uh, you know, 140 character, quick little mantra. It's this, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed people. Matthew chapter four, we read similarly uh, that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all of the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And so if you go back here to Luke chapter 4 and you just turn right in your Bible, for the next uh, you know, 15, 20 chapters, you're going to read story after story of the healing ministry of Jesus. Look down in verse 38 there in that same passage in chapter 4. Jesus arose after leaving the synagogue and he entered Simon's house, Peter's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who, had any, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. Demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Healing in Jesus' ministry was a feature of his ministry, not some sideshow. It was core to who Jesus was and how he lived in the power of the Spirit. In the following chapters, you're going to read about Jesus healing a leper, 
Jesus heals a paralyzed man, a man with a disability, a withered hand, a a girl that's dying. Um, She's the daughter of a wealthy military officer. You're going to read about uh, how Jesus raised a mama's boy from the dead. Uh, You're going to read about how Jesus heals a woman from deep shame connected to her sexuality. I mean, on and on and on I could go. Uh, I read a study this week um, that said that of the 1,257 narrative or story uh, verses in the Gospels, 484 of those, um, or about 39%, are devoted to describing healing miracles of Jesus. There are 27, at least 27, eyewitness accounts and stories of Jesus healing all kinds of different people. And what is fascinating about Jesus' healing ministry is just the diversity of how it happens. I mean, the kinds of people, right? Rich and poor, um, the old and the young, people from different races, different classes, different backgrounds and walks of life, um, the different conditions that Jesus heals. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. Uh, The circumstances, right? Like in one case, Jesus sends people away and they get healed later. I think about the 10 lepers. In another case, a woman literally like reaches out and grabs the kind of the hem of his garment and he realizes his power goes out without even looking at her. And he turns around and he's like, where did that power go? Uh, The different methods that Jesus uses from rebuking and just like commanding disease to come out to something as bizarre and strange as, t- you know, scooping up mud and spitting in it and rubbing it on somebody's eyes multiple times. I mean, the thing you notice about the way that Jesus heals, like, there's no formula. If you're looking for the formula, if you're looking for an algorithm, if you're looking for a cheat sheet, there, there is a divine mystery to the ways that God heals. But what's not a mystery is the fact that God heals, the fact that Jesus heals is, I mean, you, you literally would have to cut out half of the New Testament, half of the Gospels at least, to, uh, to try to be blind to Jesus's healing. So I want to just kind of look at what we can learn about the gift of healing from Jesus. What do we learn about healing from the life and ministry of Jesus? And then I want to talk about how we actually practice healing today. I believe this is a gift that God still has for us today in his church and something he wants to do in his people. So a couple things that we learn about or, or that kind of set the context for how we talk about and think about healing in the life of Jesus. First thing, and probably most importantly, is that healing must always be placed in the bigger story of the kingdom of God, right? If you don't understand the kingdom of God, you are going to have a hard time understanding who God is and the story of scripture and really have a hard time even understanding who you are. And so the kingdom of God is a huge like meta theme in the Bible. And one of the things that um, is essential to understanding um, the kingdom of God is this tension of the now and the not yet. This tension of the the now and the not yet is something that Jesus kind of lives in and talks about a lot throughout the Gospels. So the kingdom of God is just a shorthand way. Like when Jesus talks about the kingdom, one of the first things out of his mouth in his first sermon is the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's not just making that term up. He's drawing on a deep well of uh, Hebrew thought and imagination and Old Testament scriptures. Basically, the kingdom of God is just the reign and the rule of God. And what Jesus is referring to is this, this, uh, this idea that there's a day coming when the entire cosmos, like the entire universe, is going to be brought under the reign and the rule and the power of God. And the entire cosmos, um, from you know, the broadest idea of that down to the very particular idea of that, is going to be liberated from the dark power of sin. And we are going to experience, like us as human beings, but even creation itself, the Bible says, groans and longs for 
that day when we'll experience complete healing of our bodies and our souls and our spirits. Um, We'll experience the love of God in the full presence of God. Read, Read the book of Revelation. That's how the story ends. There'll be no more chronic pain. There'll be no more sickness, no more cancer, no more miscarriages, no more abuse, no more racism, no more poverty, no more death. Jesus says that day is coming, and there's this tension between uh, the, the timing of that in uh, the teaching in the life of Jesus. He says, um, Jesus, throughout his uh, ministry, um, what, what he's doing is Jesus actually, through his life and death and resurrection, is, is dragging that future reality into the present. Something he's saying is going to come one day in fullness, he actually drags into the now. And, uh, and, he, and he launches what you might call a divine invasion that begins to spread through the world, through God's people, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes Jesus will talk about the kingdom of God, and he'll talk about it as a reality that's happening right now. He'll say, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is in you. And then sometimes he'll talk about the kingdom as something that's still to come, as something that's in the future. And so when Jesus, the best way to read these healing stories is to understand that tension of the now and the not yet. When Jesus um, does these healings and he talks about healings, he performs these miraculous healings, it's important to understand they're not just signs of a future kingdom or a foretaste of a kingdom that's to come down the road. They are the actual presence of the kingdom right now. It's as if Jesus is saying, this is who I'm like. I am the king. I've come into the world. I am here. This is my heart. This is my character. This is my nature. This is what I'm about. And this is what my kingdom looks like. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, look around you. It's a place where the blind receive their sight. It's a place where the mentally ill are made a whole and they, uh, they come off medication, right? It's a place where um, the poor are restored and their dignity is given back to them. It's a place where those who are oppressed are set free. Um, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And it's this tension between the now and the not yet. Now, what that means for healing is that um, the, the healings take place within that tension of the now and the not yet, right? So sometimes... Jesus heals all those who are brought to him in the moment, right? Now, the kingdom of heaven is now. I'm here to heal. I'm here to cure these sicknesses and illnesses, illnesses. And sometimes we see him healing all, like the story we read about earlier. Sometimes Jesus is more selective, and he'll just heal one particular person. And then sometimes Jesus is actually not able to and doesn't uh, heal very many people. And there's lots of reasons why Jesus uh, doesn't heal. We don't have time to get into that uh, right now, but one of the primary reasons is the Bible says because of the unbelief of the crowds, right? The unbelief of uh, those uh, crowds of people who are not really following after Jesus. And so there's this tension that we live in that sometimes Jesus heals and sometimes Jesus, Jesus doesn't heal. And this is a difficult tension to live in, right? This is a hard space. Like as a pastor in the last couple of months, this means that um, we've seen people healed in our church, and we've seen other people not healed. Like, this is a real thing. This is not hypothetical. This is, I mean, I think of a story of a baby that was born in our congregation just a few months ago that had a, a very serious heart condition, and um, the doctors weren't sure if this baby was even going to make it beyond a couple of days, 
And the church uh, entered into, and their missional community entered into a season of prayer and fasting over this baby. And the day that this baby was supposed to go in to have uh, a very difficult procedure, um, the doctors, uh, after this season of prayer and fasting, the doctor said, there's been some kind of spontaneous thing that's happened here. We don't understand it, but like, we can only characterize this as some kind of a miracle because it shouldn't have happened. And, and we look at that, and what a doctor calls spontaneous we would call the miraculous healing of God. And that happens. And when I've seen it with my own eyes, I've seen it um, and I've walked in it myself and experienced it in the past. I know many of you have too. And we praise God for those things. We praise God when he chooses to answer those prayers, to reach down and to touch and to heal. But it also means over the last several months that I've seen people who have prayed those same prayers with the same intensity, praying and fasting, and they've not had their prayers uh, answered, at least not in the way that they can see right now. And that's a difficult space to walk in. For some of us, it's a space of disappointment. It's a space of bitterness. It can be a space of sadness and deep grief when God doesn't seem to answer our prayers the way that we want. And so because it's so hard to live in that space, I find that many of us will default to one side of the kind of the now and not yet tension or the other. For some of us, we live in the now and we live with this crazy expectation that God is always going to heal. We have this kind of radical faith in God Um, but we find ourselves often disappointed when it doesn't happen, or for some of us, because we've had bad experiences, or maybe God hasn't come through. We find ourselves in that not yet tension, and we tend to think of healing as, yeah, like, we'll get healed when we die, and God raises us from the dead. But the reality is, um, we have to live in this tension of the now and the not yet, while also understanding that all healing is, is temporary, right? Like, even if you get healed, you're going to die unless Jesus comes back, but you will be raised again, the Bible says. And so, we said that with Lazarus, for instance, like Jesus raises him from the dead, and then the, the rulers of the synagogue try to kill him like a couple days later, poor Lazarus. And so uh, we live in this tension of like um, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must pray and work in the spirit of this prayer and, uh, and trust God to do uh, the miraculous among us, but we also wait in the assurance that he will one day make all things new. So this is the tension of the now and the not yet. Um, And so the second thing that we see here in terms of how we place this in the larger story of the kingdom of God is that healing is integral to understanding salvation. You cannot understand salvation unless you understand healing. And if you understand healing, you understand what God's after in salvation. There's a couple different aspects to that that I want to unpack here for just a minute. One, um, to understand healing and salvation is to understand that God is the healer. God is the divine healer. That's how he actually talks about himself. So when Jesus comes on the scene and begins to heal, um, this isn't just, again, like random or out of nowhere. Jesus is, is continuing the work that God himself had been doing for a long time among his people. So I think about Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, when God delivers his people out of slavery. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Psalm 103, which we read in our opening call to worship, uh, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. This is the Lord our God. He is a healing God. It's part of his character and his nature to heal. And he heals, the Bible says, because he's a compassionate and merciful and loving father. He loves his children And his healing is tied to his compassion. And it's the same thing with Jesus throughout the New Testament. When Jesus heals, we see that often it's, and most of the time, uh, there's a mention of his compassion, right? That it comes from this deep place of uh, empathy 
and, and passion for his people. It's not some kind of spectacle to build a platform. Jesus combines like amazing authority and incredible vulnerability where he sacrifices himself and gives of himself so that people can be healed. And so I just want to kind of say that just to remind us that healing is God's heart for his children. And I say that because oftentimes we get weird teachings around sickness and suffering. And I think some of us have been taught wrongly to see sickness as some kind of redemptive thing that like God, you know, God uh, maybe even causes in our lives, causes us to be sick so that he can use it for his glory. Um, But that's not actually how we see Jesus present healing and sickness. Like healing is God's vision of shalom. Uh, Health is God's uh, vision and his heart for his children. And sickness, the Bible says, is a distortion of God's design for human flourishing. Jesus presents it throughout the Gospels as an enemy, actually, uh, to be resisted, to be rebuked, to be overcome. Sickness is never presented as a blessing from God or something that God causes in the lives of his people or that's God's will for even his people. God certainly allows sickness. He uses sickness for his glory, but he never says, I'm going to make you sick. Um, as if he's some kind of, uh, you know, weird, like, uh, masochistic father or something like that, right? God uses sickness as a part of his redemptive purposes for our lives. There's no doubt about that. We see that in the life of the Apostle Paul, for instance, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul talks about his own illness, he calls it a, notice he calls it a messenger from Satan. He doesn't say this came from God. He says it's a messenger of Satan, but God allows this to uh, stay with Paul so that he'll be dependent on him. He doesn't heal Paul. He reveals that. And I would say the same thing for us. Unless God reveals otherwise to us by some kind of dream or divine revelation, we should always assume that God wants to heal us and pursue healing as God's will for our lives. So just want to kind of throw that out there um, to maybe clear up some, some teaching there. The third thing we see about the kingdom of God and healing is that healing is integral to salvation, right? Healing is integral to salvation. There's five words for healing in the Bible. And one of those words actually uh, is the Greek word um, for salvation that's often translated in the New Testament salvation, the word sozo. And you'll see this word pop up throughout the Gospels 16 times. This word shows up in the Gospels. And this word sozo, which we normally um, use, it's normally translated salvation or to save or to rescue or deliver, actually has a double meaning in the New Testament. It can also mean to make healthy or to make whole. And so I wonder how it would change your reading of the New Testament if everywhere you saw the word saved, you didn't just think of your sins being forgiven. You didn't just think of being delivered and rescued from your sins, but you actually also thought about being healed, about being made whole, because that's how Jesus will refer. He'll touch somebody's body, and he'll say, you've been sozoed, you've been healed, you've been saved, and it's all part of the same package, like salvation is healing, healing is salvation, and I think it's important for us to keep those things together. Uh, Healing uh, also, as we think about the larger kingdom perspective, uh, is for the whole person, right? It's not just for one aspect of our lives, it's actually for the whole person. This is what I love about the Bible, is it presents this very complex and comprehensive view of uh, sickness and salvation that frankly is a lot more integrative and realistic than what we see oftentimes presented to us in, in, in the secular script for illness and sickness and, and, and kind of uh, wellness movements, for instance, or what we even see in other religions, which tend to reduce uh, down, kind of engage in this reductionism that sees one thread or one dimension of sickness and healing, but not the whole picture. 
And so there's a couple different dimensions or domains of healing when we talk about, uh, from a biblical perspective, what um, sickness and healing looks like. There's uh, at least five. The first is spiritual healing, right? This is the first and the most important kind of healing that we see in the Bible, and it's really the linchpin for understanding all healing in the Bible. This is the healing of our alienation from God that's caused by sin. And we know that sin is the root cause of all suffering and sickness in the world, right? And so God, by his spirit, convicts us of sin, of our disordered loves and attachments, which lead us away from trusting in him. And he heals us and he restores us to himself through a process of forgiveness, forgiving our sins, leading us to repent, to turn away from those sins and to trust in him, to reconcile us back to himself and to lead us into a life of freedom. So spiritual healing is so important, and uh, it's one of the primary things that God is after in the Bible is is reconciling his uh, prodigal children back to himself. Uh, The second thing, the second kind of healing that we see in uh, the Bible is physical healing, and that's what you see a lot in the, the ministry of Jesus. Divine healing of our bodies, like physical ailments and illnesses, malfunctioning structures, chronic pain, like Jesus cares about our bodies. We are a unified uh, person, body, soul, and spirit, right? In the West, uh, in this kind of secular moment, we tend to think of ourselves as like ghosts in a machine, but that's not the picture that the Bible presents of what what a unified human being is. Like Jesus values the bodies. Jesus himself took on a body, took on flesh, and he's come to heal our bodies. As, as, again, when the presence of God shows up, we experience physical healing. You see that throughout the New Testament. The third category of healing, the first, third kind of healing is emotional healing. And this is one that doesn't get as much airtime, but is very much a part of Jesus' ministry. This is what some people call inner healing or the healing of hurtful memories, damaged emotions, trauma that we've experienced in the past that still has power over our lives in the present. Right? Like, think about uh, people who've suffered abuse. Think about people who have been wounded in their families of origin or with an experience they had as a teenager or a young adult. There's shame and all kinds of things that get attached to that. What oftentimes happens is we get stuck in that trauma. It's not like we just move on from that. It imprints us and sometimes can really weigh us down and oppress us spiritually and emotionally, and we need to be healed. And here's the reality. We can't go back and change the past, but we can be increasingly, sometimes very slowly, sometimes instantaneously, though, healed and released from the toxic grip of the effects of those memories on our current thinking and feeling and living in the world. The effects of guilt, right? The effects of shame, the effects of anger, the effects of anxiety and fear. These are all things. And so oftentimes, like, therapy and counseling can be really helpful. Uh, Sometimes Jesus will use those things, the Spirit will use those things to bring emotional healing to us. And sometimes he just heals those things instantaneously. And so um, it's good and right for us to pursue counseling and therapy um, because we, we need emotional healing. And so uh, these kind of miraculous healings don't negate the need for us to go to a doctor, right? Just like when you break your arm, you go get it set in place by a doctor. Same thing emotionally. When you have brokenness inside of you, going to a counselor, going to a therapist can be one of the means that God uses to bring about healing in our lives. And emotional healing is critical, um, especially in the moment in which we live now. Uh, The next type of healing is relational healing, the healing of the sin between us and other individuals or groups of people. 
This includes healing things like bitterness and hostility and resentment, a sense of pride like superiority or inferiority that leads to all kinds of like interpersonal and institutional isms like racism and classism and sexism and ageism. And oftentimes what God will do here is he will teach us how to forgive as he's healing our spirits, as he's healing our souls from the poison of bitterness, like uh, the best definition of, of kind of uh, the, what the Bible calls the root of bitterness, I've heard, um, and unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. And what Jesus does is he comes and he begins to forgive us and teach us in the Lord's Prayer to forgive as we've been forgiven. He says, so you will be forgiven by God. That's a scary prayer. And so sometimes that looks like forgiveness where we release the person and that power is broken um, over us or between us. Sometimes it looks like reconciliation. Sometimes it it looks like all kinds of things. But my point is uh, Jesus has come to bring about that kind of relational healing. And then the last one is demonic healing. We'll talk more about this. This should be so fun. Uh, Next week we'll talk about how Jesus delivers us from demonic influences and spirits and lies that keep us oppressed. And so um, just to wrap this kind of section up, what I want to just make note of is that all of these domains, relational, spiritual, psychological, uh, demonic, they're all interconnected and they all play off each other. And so if we're going to take into account a comprehensive view of healing and a comprehensive view of salvation, God has created these domains of our lives to function together. And so they can have an impact on one another. You've heard of psychosomatic disorders, right? Like uh, psychological disorders that have somatic or embodied uh, ties and connections. And so as we diagnose, as we work towards praying for healing um, for others, we have to take all of these dimensions into account and understand that just because there's a presenting symptom doesn't mean there's not a deeper root issue. So sometimes the presenting system is, uh, symptom is psychological, but the root issue is spiritual. Sometimes the presenting issue is, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, relational, but it's tied to something deeper, like a psychological or an emotional wound from our childhood that has to be healed in order for us to make progress in those other areas. And when we do experience healing in one area, it actually has an overflow impact into other areas of our lives. It's amazing. Like James talks about sometimes um, our, our suffering or our, uh, our sickness is actually related to sin, unconfessed sin in our lives. Now, he says in James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, that doesn't mean that all sin, contrary to the way that some people teach it, uh, all sickness is related to sin. But he is saying sometimes the confession of sin is the catalyst for healing in other areas of our lives and sometimes uh, vice versa. Sometimes Jesus, uh, in uh, Acts 10, Peter makes the connection between demonic activity and uh, other aspects of sickness in our lives. And Jesus went about breaking that power for all of those things. And so, um, again, just to restate, we believe in healing both through miracle and through medicine. It doesn't mean we don't go to doctors. It doesn't mean we don't go to counselors. Um, we believe in all of those things, and that's all part of how God brings about healing in our lives. So healing has to be set in the larger context of the kingdom of God to make sense the now and the not yet and the full comprehensive scope of what God's doing in the kingdom of God if we're going to understand healing and salvation Um, The second thing that we see in the life of Jesus is that healing requires and encourages faith. Healing is often tied to faith. The vast majority of cases in the New Testament of healings occur because of someone's faith. 27 times Jesus references faith 
And what we learn by that is that it takes faith to be healed. But lest you feel like a person like me who doesn't have a lot of faith at times, uh, the good news of Jesus is that he actually supplies the faith that we need and he honors even the smallest seed of faith. And so it's interesting, like the sources of faith, when you read through these accounts of healings, um, it doesn't always come from the person who needs to be healed. Um, Matter of fact, Jesus never rebukes somebody for their lack of faith in terms of why they're not healed. That's an important point to hang on to. So sometimes the faith of the person that needs to be healed plays a factor in their healing. Nine times Jesus says, and this kind of makes me uncomfortable in my own theological grid, to be honest, he says, it's your faith that's made you well. Like your faith, he seems to point out that your faith is the source of your healing. And faith is a big deal to Jesus uh, for some reason. Uh, The second uh, kinds of, so sometimes it's the person who needs to be healed. Sometimes it's the faith of a a friend or a family member. I think of uh, situations where mothers are crying out on behalf of their daughters and they have this radical faith. I think of uh, the story of the paralytic's friends literally like cutting a hole in the roof. They're so desperate to get him to Jesus and they lower him down and he says it's the faith of your friends that's made you well. Sometimes it's the faith of the, the healer, the person praying for healing that God uses. And sometimes there's no faith at all except for Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who has the faith that's needed to bring about healing. So what does it mean to have faith, right? There's uh, lots of people have abused this, and I'm even hesitant to talk about faith and healing in the same word because that combination has produced a lot of hurt, a lot of manipulation, a lot of pain. Um, What is faith? What is the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for? This word faith in the New Testament is the Greek word pistis, and it's a word that um, at its core means a lot more than just believing information about God. Faith in the Bible is really uh, synonymous with trust. It's trusting in God's goodness, and as it pertains to healing, it's trusting that God can heal, and it's trusting that he wants to heal you right now. Like, it's so important that you actually, like, that, that kind of faith um, honors God. That kind of faith magnifies the goodness and the mercy and the heart of God, and it's the trust that God is after. There's nothing intrinsically powerful or salvific or healing about faith itself, it's an instrument, but, but it's the object of our faith that brings power. It's trusting in God, the healer. And so um, when, it, when it comes to faith, we don't want to presume on God and think that, well, I have this like on-demand you know, kind of relationship with God where when I ask for something, he, he must, you know, this quid pro quo kind of relationship with God. We don't presume on God, but we should and we must trust that he can heal and that he wants to heal. I, I think the posture is like um, we see in the lives of the disciples where they say, Lord, um, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, right? Like, I believe, I believe you can heal, I believe you want to heal, I believe it's your heart for your children to heal, but I'm, ha- I'm struggling, so help me believe. And Jesus goes on to tell a story then, a parable about a mustard seed, like the smallest seed uh, in, on the planet Earth. He says, if you just have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you just trust me just a little bit, um, you have faith that can move mountains. And so, Uh, We need faith, and what happens oftentimes is that faith begets more faith. As I trust God to bring healing in my life, uh, and God answers those prayers, and I see healing happen in my life and in those around me, it's actually um, oftentimes in the New Testament and the stories of Jesus that healing leads to conversion, that it actually converts people to faith in Jesus, and it strengthens doubting disciples. And so faith tends to have this kind of multiplier effect where a little bit of faith gives way to more faith, and then all of a sudden we are trusting and walking with Jesus. So that's what we learn in terms of healing in the life of Jesus. The thing I want to just touch on here quickly as we wrap up is how do we actually practice 
healing the sick today because we know that this isn't just something that happened in the life of Jesus. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, sends out his disciples with a ministry of healing, right? Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We see the same thing in the book of Acts with Peter and Paul and the disciples. And then Paul, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these sections we've been going through in instructing the church on how to live a spirit-filled life, mentions the gifts of healing. It's interesting, it's plural. The gifts of healing by the one spirit that God wants to give to his people. Now, this is really significant that the noun here in 1 Corinthians 12 is plural. And I think what uh, we can, uh, at least in my reading of this, one of the clear things that God is saying is that there's no gift singular of healing given to one person that they possess that's operative at all times in all places for all diseases. Because if, if you had that gift, then like you should just go ahead and relocate to the cancer ward of uh, Riley Children's Hospital and camp out there and just heal and heal and heal, right? Like that's not what's happening, I don't think, in the New Testament. The idea of gifts suggests that different powers of healing are given maybe for different diseases, like some people are more, uh, uh, more inclined to be able to heal certain kinds of diseases, or that each occurrence of healing is a distinct gift of the Spirit. Like even Paul himself, who wrote this letter to the Corinthians, and whose handkerchief healed people through like some act of transference uh, in the book of Acts, even he couldn't stop the lingering illnesses of uh, Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Trophimus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, or even heal himself of his own physical ailment in 2 Corinthians 12. And of course, we know that all of these men would go on to die, many of them as martyrs. And so the Spirit, I think, is saying that he sovereignly distributes this, char- this char- charisma, um, this, this grace gift of healing for particular occasions, uh, for particular people in particular situations, even though previous uh, or subsequent prayers have not been answered, he decides, you know, in his own sovereign way, for his own sovereign purposes, when he wants to grant the gifts of healing. And so just three quick encouragements on how uh, I think we should pray for healing right now. The first thing I'll say is that love is everything, right? Love is the most important thing. Miracles are always rooted in compassion, um, Miracles are designed to draw us deeper into a love relationship with God, to strengthen our love for God, and to bond us with one another in compassion and love for one another. I mean, I think about my own kids, right? Like when I think about the gift of healing, I just think about the basic fundamental attachment of a parent to a child in a healthy relationship. When my kids get sick, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see them, whether it's the sniffles or the flu or something more serious, my kids cry out and they've got a fever. I want them to be healed. And so it's our practice as a family when the kids are sick to try to lay hands on and to pray for kids and to believe that God wants to heal them, whether through a miracle or through medicine. We pray because we're moved by their pain. I mean, to stand back when somebody's, even if you don't believe the gift of healing is for day, to stand back and just be detached and cold and clinical. I mean, how, just how, you know, unlike the heart of Christ is that, to really stand back and to not be moved with compassion for their pain. I mean, Jesus is deeply moved in the Bible. He's troubled in spirit. He weeps. He's angered by the presence of sickness and death, and it leads him to move towards healing his friends and his loved ones. And so um, we too, like Jesus, need to walk in this beautiful combination of authority and vulnerability, understanding that Jesus has empowered us by his love to, uh, to perform works of miracles and healings 
um, while also recognizing that it's going to require a ton of tenderness and vulnerability and self-sacrifice. I love this little quote by Jonathan Singh in his book on healing. He says, to walk in Jesus's power, we should live in his lowly lifestyle. God's healers should place themselves among the needy, his deliverers among the desperate, his prophets among those in dark places, and they should share the burden of suffering they find. If we want miracles, we should live the sort of life in which they're needed. The second thing there, uh, the first thing is faith, second thing, uh, first thing is love, second thing is faith. We need to learn to cultivate an environment of bold faith. You see that in James chapter 4, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, let him call for others in the church, um, anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. We must have bold faith uh, if we're going to experience healing, right? And so, um, for, like, there's a lot that I, ha- I could say about this, but just real simple things. Um, sometimes we have, to, we have to cultivate and curate an environment of faith with our missional community, our discipleship, and like Jesus, uh, sometimes that means kicking out people. Uh, Jesus, like in Mark chapter 5, goes to heal uh, the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, and everybody's laughing at him and mocking him, and he actually removes them all from the room um, so that uh, he can kind of get the faithless out, and he, and he prays over this daughter, and he raises her up. And so sometimes it means that we have to get radical in uh, removing those maybe who don't have faith or inviting them into faith. Sometimes it means we, we share stories and testimonies of how God has healed in the past. More than anything, I think it just means we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We listen to those who are in pain, to those who are hurting. We ask good questions. We lay hands on them. We pray, not the kind of wimpy prayer that's like, oh, Lord, maybe if you want to kind of pray, but like really pray, Lord, I know that you want to heal. God, I know it's your heart for your children that they be healthy and whole. Would you heal this person? And we trust God and we trust the Spirit to do what he's going to do amongst our brothers and sisters. And so we must cultivate an environment of bold faith. And then we must persevere, right? Like story after story in the Bible is about asking and seeking and knocking. You can read about those in the Old Testament with like Hezekiah um, and throughout the New Testament, just the importance of persistent prayer that we don't give up. If God doesn't answer this, sometimes it takes two prayers and five prayers and 10 prayers. And sometimes God doesn't heal. He never heals. But oftentimes he will heal as we continue to ask and we continue to seek and we continue to knock. And so I want to just encourage you that oftentimes healing is a gradual and partial process, and to keep praying, and keep asking, and keep pursuing God's will for us. And so my prayer for us is that we as a community um, really seek the heart of God, that we seek God first, that we seek Jesus first, that we seek the Spirit first, and out of that intimacy, that we begin to look around our community, look around our church, look around our family, and with compassion, we weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn, but we also in faith cry out to God that he would bring his kingdom now. We pray in Jesus' name that he would heal our brothers and sisters. My longing is for us to become a community that experiences those healings, that strengthens our faith, that encourages us um, to pursue the long game in terms of the kingdom of God here at Soma. So let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for the gift of healing. I pray that we would experience and we would, you would give us the faith to believe, to trust that you want to heal. And then we would lean into that with confidence and boldness, not in ourselves and our own abilities, not to build a platform, but in love. God, I pray that we would be moved with compassion and that you would answer those prayers and you would raise up weak and failing and chronically ill and terminally sick, even people in our body. And you would show yourself to be mighty and strong and powerful. 
God, I pray that you would multiply this, these gifts of healing among us, um, not so that we would receive glory, but God, so that you alone would be glorified and that you would draw men and women to yourself and that you would show us what it looks like to live in your kingdom where you are the king and the healer. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.